everyone, and welcome to The Circle Opens, a podcast devoted to a chapter-by-chapter review of Stephen King's The Stand. Uh, Before we jump into Chapter 6, I just wanted to uh, make a few uh, news announcements. One, happy solstice. It's finally summer. Um, It's been very rainy here in Ohio, but uh, today, out of all days, the sun came out. It was a beautiful day. And I'm hoping that the entire weekend stays uh, just as nice, but I'm not going to hold my breath because it's Ohio and we are known to uh, for having four seasons in one day. So <laughs> I hope everybody is having a great weekend. Um, and also more exciting than, uh, you know, my complaining about my uh, state's weather, uh, there's been news coming out about casting for the CBS All Access miniseries of The Stand. Uh, Nothing is official, uh, but news broke today that uh, a few people have been, um, are in talks uh, to join the production. Uh, Most notably, James Marston as Stu Redmond. And I found this uh, to be very, very interesting news. Um, Stu is actually the one character that I've had a really hard time uh, putting a new face to. I feel like Gary Sinise was the epitome of Stu Redman, and you just, you can't get any more perfect than Gary Sinise. Um, so I had a really hard time trying to, you know, I went through a different couple names, but I never thought about James Marston. Um, but I love this idea. I think, um, you know, I really, really like him in Westworld. And I actually just watched, uh, for my movie blog, I just watched and reviewed 27 Dresses. <laughs> and he was probably my second favorite part of that movie. I think he is uh, a good actor. I think he's very boy next door. And given his role in Westworld, I think he can pull off the Southern charm. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to seeing if this becomes official, because if it is, I, I, I have to give my stamp of approval. I, not that my stamp of approval matters, but you know, I, I try not to judge, uh, casting before I've seen that person in the role. I did. I remember when Heath Ledger was cast as the Joker and I was like, really? Like 10 things I hate about you, Heath Ledger. Like, okay. But I knew he was a good actor from Brokeback Mountain. Um, and he just killed it in that movie. He was fantastic. So that kind of taught me my lesson to never judge until I can see uh, if these actors can pull off the roles of these characters that I've held dear to my heart for so long. Um, I think Stu uh, is... He's not my favorite character in The Stand, but he's definitely one of them. So I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with James Marston. Um, another rumor is Amber Heard. Uh, she's recently been in Aquaman. I can't remember her name in that movie. I'm sorry. I didn't see it. Um, but Amber Heard is, uh, I, I saw her name in the headline, and I was kind of worried because I, I thought she would be up for Franny, and I just, I couldn't see it. Uh, but it turns out she is being rumored as playing um, Nadine. Oh, we love to love Nadine. And I um, I will admit that Nadine is in my top three of uh, characters, favorite characters in The Stand. I think her arc is so tragic. Um, and I, I, I don't know how I feel about Amber Heard. I don't think I've seen her enough to really judge. But uh, again, I am um, looking forward to seeing what happens there. Um, some also, this is an interesting rumor here. Uh, Mother Abigail, Whoopi Goldberg, uh, 
Uh, as you all know, uh, Mother Abigail was played by Ruby D in the 1994 series. Uh, I don't, I don't know about Whoopi Goldberg. Um, again, I'm trying not to judge, but I'm giving you that information. Uh, Glenn Bateman is rumored to be uh, Greg Kinnear, which I think is fan freaking tastic. I love Greg Kinnear. I love Greg Kinnear, and Odessa Young. Um, and I'm trying to remember where I've heard that name, Odessa Young. Um, she is being rumored for the role of Franny. Fran Goldsmith. Um, I think I'm looking right now, but I think Odessa Young, let's see, she was in Assassination Nation. Um, let's see, I, I don't see High Life uh, from 2017. I know um, a lot of my film buff friends on Twitter were really big on High Life. Uh, she was in that. Um, I don't know. I don't, she doesn't look like she's been in a whole lot. Uh, but anyway, I'm looking at her picture right now and you know what? I could see it. Uh, I could see her as Franny. So, um, and you know what? I totally, I lied to you guys. It's not High Life the movie. It's High Life a TV series. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> High Life was with Robert Pattinson. I'm getting off into uh, a tangent here. But anyway, so uh, yeah, Odessa Young as Fran and an actor named Henry Zaga. Henry Zaga uh, is being rumored for the role of Nick Andros, uh, who was played by Rob Lowe in the 1994 series. And Henry Zaga, he was, well, he's scheduled to be in the new Mutants movie, uh, also directed by Josh Boone. And that's had a lot of uh, hangups. Um, but it also looks like Henry is going to be in Looking for Alaska, a miniseries of, about uh, Looking for Alaska is a book by John Green, who also did The Fulton Our Stars, directed by Josh Boone. Um, so, uh, so there's a few names for you guys, uh, if you haven't already seen. Um I'm kind of excited because if if the stand is going to start casting, that means it's really going to happen. And I know I should have more faith in the project, but oh my gosh, you guys, we've been waiting for a new adaptation for how long? How long have we been waiting? And it always seems like when they finally make uh, progress, something happens and it goes on the back burner or there's a new director or somebody backs away. Um, and Josh Boone, it seems like is really pushing forward and I'm so excited about this news. I'm so excited that we're getting something here. Um, I would love to know, you know, I, eventually I was going to do an episode about, uh, fan casting, but, uh, you know, and I'm still going to do that just because they're casting the stand now doesn't mean that we can't talk about who our dream cast would be. Um, so if you guys, what do you guys think about it? What do you guys think about James Marston, Amber Heard, uh, Whoopi Goldberg? Uh, send me an email at thecirclecloses at gmail.com or just pop me a line on social media. You can find me Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at The Circle Opens. And I would really love to hear uh, what you guys think of this news. Also, quickly, I want to uh, just talk very, very briefly about something that happened uh, this week, uh, only it was June 19th, uh, 1999, instead of 2019. Um, Stephen King was hit by a van um, on June 19th, 1999, uh, while he was walking um, on the shoulder of a road in Maine. And he was very severely injured, um, and he nearly lost his leg. And uh, King took to Twitter this week and said, On June 19th, 1999, I got hit by a van while taking a walk. 
As I lay unconscious in the hospital, the docs debated amputating my right leg and decided it could stay on a trial basis. I got better. Every day of the 20 years since has been a gift. Obviously, we as fans um, and, you know, just decent human beings are relieved that King pulled through and he continues to write and entertain us to this day. So today on The Circle Opens, um, we are going to go over chapter six, but I wanted to give you a quick recap of last week's chapter. Uh, We met Larry Underwood, a rising rock musician living in California, who found himself with a drug problem and a heap of debt living a lavish lifestyle that he could not really afford. After some wise words from a friend, Larry took off and headed home to New York City to stay with his mom, while his single, Baby Can You Dig Your Man, continued to rise in the charts. For Chapter 6, we are back in Agunquit, Maine with Fran Goldsmith. And if you remember, Franny is the 21-year-old woman, young woman, who has recently told her boyfriend that she's pregnant. Well, this chapter revolves around Franny and her father, Peter Goldsmith. Franny's parents had her late in life, and he is now in his 60s, about a year away uh, from retirement as a machinist in a Sanford auto parts firm. Peter, we find out, is a Democrat who loves to garden, and he does not trust the government. Uh, His own father, Fran's grandfather, had a saying, Put not your trust in the princes of the world, for they will frig thee up, and so shout their governments, even unto the end of the earth. Peter seems pretty ready for retirement. Uh, He wants to do it right and not think of this as a never-ending vacation. Too many of his friends uh, who have been retired have become bored with their lives or have hit uh, hard financial times. One of his close friends, uh, he and his wife had to sell their home and move in with their daughter and son-in-law. So Peter does not put his faith into social, social security, and he told Fran once that, quote, you had to trust yourself and let the princes of this world get along as best they could with the people who had elected them. Most times that wasn't very well, but that was okay. They deserved each other. This book was written in the 70s, uh, but those words still ring so true today, don't they? <laughs> uh, I think one thing just never changes, and that is the... Uh, difficulty in putting faith in your government, uh, no matter who is uh, overseeing it. Peter believes that hard cash is the answer, implying that he's been doing some saving of his own with retirement in the very near future. Uh, Peter has always been proud of Fran. Uh, He's been proud to tell his friends that he put her through school. You know, he taught her to work and to work hard to take care of herself. And um, this seems to be something that Fran's mother, Carla, couldn't quite comprehend. As the book states, changes had come for women, whether women always liked them or not. And it was hard for Carla to get it through her head that Fran wasn't down there at UNH husband hunting. We find out that Franny's childhood best friend, Amy Lauder, is getting married. And Fran's mother is wondering when it's going to be Fran's turn. There seems to be some contention between Fran and her mom um, from what we see in this chapter uh, between uh, Peter and Fran is that Carla wants Fran's future to be a bit more traditional than Fran is ready for or, you know, what even Fran wants. Uh, Peter recognizes this, but won't he won't blame Fran and he won't blame Carla. Um, he's not going to blame either one of them for their relationship. 
He tells Fran that she has to remember that Carla is too old to change, and Fran is getting old enough to understand that. And that really, that line really spoke to me um, because some people at a certain age, they can't change. I think uh, their beliefs, their values, uh, whatnot, they're, they're at that point in their 60s, 70s, they are who they are. Um, I feel like if people are going to change, it has to happen when they're younger. And speaking from personal experience, um, I can I can attest that this is, for me anyway, that was the case. Um, and it's difficult as a child of a parent who might have differing views than you to accept it. But at some point, you just have to accept it. Um, and I think that this is what Peter is getting at for Fran. Carla wants her to get married, um, find a husband and get married. Um, and Fran is has to accept that this is how Carla feels. That doesn't mean that Fran has to uh, do what her mother wants her to do. But that's always going to be a point of contention between the two women. Fran and Peter continue to talk about this. And uh, as they garden together, um, you know, Peter just talks about this and that. They seem to have a very easygoing relationship. And Fran seems very comfortable in his presence. Um, she laments that she had come here to tell him something, but since her childhood, she often came to tell and stayed to listen because her father was such a wonderful storyteller. But Peter seems to know that something is on Fran's mind, and he asks her straight out, you know, what's on your mind, Fran? Fran can't seem to find the right way to say it. So instead, she just comes out with it. I'm pregnant. Uh, Peter asks if it's a joke <laughs> or a game. Um, and she says it's not. So he asks her to sit with him while he gets his pipe going. And this is where Fran gets very emotional and she starts to cry. And we saw that she cried uh, with Jess in her last chapter while they were at the Dairy Queen. Um, but Jess didn't really seem to know how to comfort her. Um, and Peter here, he just holds her. He holds her for a good long while. Uh, not saying a word while she sobs. And when her tears begin to dull a little, she asks him if he still likes her. And this was a really heartbreaking moment for me in this chapter. You know, when you're close to your parents, you don't want to disappoint them. And maybe even when you're estranged from them. Uh, look at Larry in the last chapter. Uh, he was scared. So he drove home because he wanted his mother. He wants her love and her approval, and he worries that Alice will turn her back on him. And you can sense that here with Fran, that her, you know, she has that worry that having a child out of wedlock will somehow change her in her father's eyes, someone she loves and admires. Um, so having to, you know, even I'm a parent, and if one of my daughters were to ask me that question, like, I don't know what, I, how would I respond to that? Of course, I still like you. Like, I still love you. Um, and Peter says the same thing. He looks very confused for a moment. He says he likes her just fine. <laughs> and this makes her cry all over again. Uh, he can't even say that he's disappointed because he's never had a pregnant daughter before. They discuss Jess, the father of the baby. And Fran explains that Jess said he would marry her or pay for an abortion. And I love this because Peter calls Jess a regular two-gun Sam. Um, the nice thing about this conversation is Peter seems very level-headed. Uh, he won't blame. Uh, he, asks, he asks Fran if they were careful. She says yes. She was on the pill, but they didn't work. So, you know, Peter's like, well, 
you did what you had to do and it didn't work. So I can't blame you. I can't blame him. Um, he says he's 64 and 64 has a way of forgetting what 21 was like. So they're not going to talk about blame. However, he warns her that Carla will have plenty to say about blame. And while Peter won't stop her, he won't be with her either. And he wants Fran to understand that. And, you know, Fran does. She knows that her father, he doesn't oppose her mother, um, at least not anymore. And Fran describes Carla's tongue as acid. um, And she has since cut out Peter's own tongue with her own harsh words. Carla is described as someone who lashes out with her when her feelings get out of control, when a situation gets out of control, and she causes a lot of damage uh, before she can really stop to think about it. And this is all from this is all from Peter and Fran's point of view of Carla. Carla is not in this chapter. Um, this is just their discussion of her. So already King is painting a picture of what Fran's mother is really like, and. Um, you just know that that conversation um, is not going to go well. Uh, you know, at some point, Peter did oppose his wife, but then he realized that if he continued to do that, uh, their marriage would end in divorce. So he could either continue to oppose his wife and take take the divorce, or he could just surrender in silence. And he chose the latter, but he did it on his own terms. Peter wants to know what Fran is going to do with Jess, and she's not sure. Uh, She doesn't want to marry Jess because she thinks she's fallen out of love with him if she was ever in love with him to begin with. Um, She tries, but she can't really find the right words to describe Jess to her husband or her father. Sorry, Peter, except that uh, Jess is weak. And, you know, we kind of got that feeling when uh, she told Jess she was pregnant and she does not trust Jess to do right by her. And that's the gist of it. Uh, Fran tells this story where they went to a poetry reading and uh, the place was packed and everyone's listening so intently to this man. And of course, Fran got the giggles, which is also something that uh, we saw is one of her personality traits from her last chapter. You know, she giggles at some of the most inappropriate uh, times. And Fran claims that she wasn't laughing at the poet. The poetry was pretty good, but she was giggling at the way everybody was watching this guy, this scruffy guy, um, you know, like he was some kind of god. And she had to leave because she started to laugh. And Jess followed, and he was just furious. He was furious with her. And, you know, we saw that in the last chapter, too, when she scared him on the pier, and he almost fell in, and he got so angry at her, even though she thought it was pretty funny. Um, So Fran worries that if they got married, he would keep coming home to someone that he didn't like. And even if she tried to suppress who she was, then she would be unhappy. So no, she doesn't want to marry Jess. And Peter accepts this and tells her not to let her mother change her mind. Fran then asks about uh, what Peter thinks about her getting an abortion. And Peter figures that this is the question that she really wanted to ask in the first place. After some silence, Peter explains to Fran uh, what her mother was like when she was young. He describes Carla as hellfire. And he says that she was a lot like Franny. She got the giggles. She would go to baseball games and drink beer. Um, But she changed after Fran's brother, Freddie, died. Uh, So now we find out that Fran once had a brother. And Peter said that after Freddie died, Carla stopped growing. 
He says she slapped three coats of lacquer and one quick dry cement on her way of looking at things and called it good. Now she's like a guard in a museum, and if she sees anyone tampering with the ideas on display there, she gives them a lookout, a, a lot of lookout below. But she wasn't always like that. You'll just have to take my word for it. Franny has a really difficult time imagining her mother this way, uh, a young woman on a date with her father, drinking beer. Um, and I guess uh, Peter and Carla had trouble conceiving for a while, but then they had Freddie in 1960. And after a miscarriage, they had Fran in 1969, and Fran came into the world one month early. Peter describes it as they both had one of their own, as Carly and Freddie and Peter and Fran. But then Freddie died. He was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13, and Fran was four. And Freddie actually lived after that for about seven days, um, and then he passed away. Plainly speaking, Peter does not want Fran to have an abortion. Uh, He thinks it's um, infanticide. And he apologizes for being so inflexible about it. But he's an old man and he believes what he believes. And Peter becomes distraught as he's talking. He's trying to give his daughter advice, which he describes as a monkey trying to teach table manners to a bear. And he admits that he's always seen the question of abortion in terms of Fred. Carla would argue against abortion for all the moral reasons, you know, morality that goes back 2,000 years. Um, But Peter just sees Fred, and he knew that there was no chance for him after he got hit by that car. So um, Fran admits here that she doesn't want an abortion, but for her own reasons. And she's honest about it. Her ego is a part of this because this baby is part partly her it's a part of her as well Uh, and she doesn't want to give the baby up either and the fact that she doesn't want to give the baby up is when Fran finally feels some of Peter's disapproval um he you know she's still in school and he you know he when she asks about that you know is it the schooling he doesn't want to talk about it anymore um so Fran you know he tells Fran she has time to make a decision and at that point Carla has just returned home from shopping for something to wear to Amy Lauder's uh, wedding. And Peter asks Fran to give it a day or two before she tells Carla about the pregnancy. Uh, Fran agrees to do so. And I think, you know, Peter knows his wife well enough to know that things will never be the same in that household after Fran tells Carla that she's pregnant and he wants maybe another couple days of peace or maybe a couple days uh, more for Fran to really think about what she wants to do. This was, um, this was, that's the end of the chapter. And, and it's a, it's a bit of a shorter one than we got with Larry, but it was still just as interesting to me because we get another one of our main characters in Fran interacting with, uh, her her father, just as we had Larry, uh, interacting with his mother in chapter five and Fran and Peter's relationship is much warmer and much more comfortable than we got with Larry and his mother, Alice. Peter seems supportive of Fran, not even expressing disappointment when she tells him that she's pregnant, other than the fact that maybe it will mess with her education. And that's a very, you know, I think that's a very reasonable thing for any parent to be concerned about, especially uh, your only child, your only remaining living child. You want them to do uh, the best that they can with their life, and he wants Franny to succeed. Um He's very open-minded 
to her having the baby, but he's pretty set against Fran having an abortion after the death of Fran's brother. Um, and we we find out that it's Freddie's death that is it, he is the reason that his death was the reason that uh, his wife uh, Peter's wife Carla changed. Um, she became a much more frigid, harsh woman. Um, grief does a lot of uh, different things to people. Um, it doesn't always change them for the better. Some people never get over it. Um, some people can't. And like I, I really like that Kane described her as she stopped growing when Freddie died. I, you kind of, you know, obviously you're going to feel pity and sympathy for Carla, um, regardless of her harsh words. Um, she, you know, a mother losing her son is just probably unbearable pain. And uh, he wants, um, I would, I would think, you know, that maybe Fran having a child would be a blessing, um, having a grandchild, but of course she's not married. Um, and Fran even had the brief moment of when she was looking at her hands while talking to Peter that she saw dirt under her fingernails. And just like with Jess, uh, the chapter with Jess, she worried about, she, she thought about her lady hands and you can tell that she got that from her mother. And she had the very brief thought that her mother would say, uh, I will have to revoke my membership to the church after finding out Fran is pregnant. So we're not really sure yet how Fran and Carla interact with each other, other than what we've gotten from Peter's point of view and Fran's point of uh, Yeah, Fran's point of view. Um, it's pretty clear that Carla will not take this news very well, um, certainly not as well as Peter did. And it's very telling that Fran went to Peter, her father, first about this and not her mother. She wanted his advice, but it seems like Fran has already made up her mind about what she wants to do. And maybe she was just asking Peter to kind of justify uh, what she what her decision had become. Um, she wanted him to kind of uh, vindicate her there. And Fran wants to have the baby and she wants to keep it, but she does not want to marry Jess. They seem very incompatible, and she doesn't want to have to repress or suppress who she is to make Jess happy, because that will make her unhappy. And I don't know, maybe she sees her mother, um, not to say that Carla is unhappy with Peter, but she sees how unhappy her mother is as a person, and Fran does not want to go down that road. Um, Jess doesn't seem to appreciate who Jess or who Fran really is either, and whether or not Jess will stay in the picture is unclear, but Fran does not have enough faith in him to be there for her. And that's, you know, that's just the, uh, that's just the gist of it. That's all you need to know. So we at least know that Fran is going to keep the baby, but we also feel that sort of ominous dark cloud hanging over the news uh, because she'll have to tell Carla and, you know, that's not going to be an easy chapter to read, I'm sure. Uh, next week, uh, we will start chapter seven, where we're going to head back down, uh, back down south to Atlanta, Georgia, and check in with the good old boys from Arnett, Texas, who are currently sick with the super flu. Um, and I think we're going to find out whether or not Stu Redman is still uh, healthy or if maybe it's finally hit him as well. And I wanted to give a quick shout out to Secondhand Bookery. Um, if you need an affordable source for Stephen King books, movies, collectibles, or more, make sure to visit Secondhand Bookery at secondhandbookery.etsy.com. And listeners of this podcast can also use the coupon code THE CIRCLE 
for 20% off their order at any time. And there's always free shipping to the United States. So please, please go check out uh, secondhandbookery.se.com. It's a great uh, online store. It has a lot of popular titles in stock um, by Stephen. Uh, it, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Stand, um, if you need a copy. Uh, so head on over there and use the circle for 20% off. As always, thank you to everybody for joining me as we continue on our journey through The Stand. And if you are enjoying the podcast, it would mean a great deal to me if you would head on over to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. Or go ahead and drop me a line at thecirclecloses at gmail.com if you have any thoughts on this chapter. And I think that's it for this episode. Um, It was another short-ish chapter. So we get another short-ish podcast episode. And uh, M-O-O-N, that spells see you next week.